What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Saw here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Thank you so much, everyone, who has come out to continue to support the show, whether you were with us from the beginning, uh, the middle. Maybe this is your first episode. Look, this is all the latest news around Apple. We touch upon the tech world as well. We have great guests for interviews. It's just everything you need to know about Apple once per week, and we pack it right in here. This is episode 120. Crazy, crazy, everybody. And you know what? You all know this. You guys and gals can be a part of the show. I love it when you call in. So all you have to do is record a voice memo, then send it to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z. Send along. We want to know your name, where you're from, what you want to talk about, your comments, your thoughts, your questions, your criticisms, because I'm not right about everything. I don't try to be. I don't, I would never even admit I'm right. I just, we all have our own perspectives and what makes sense to us. So send them in, be a part of the show. It really just adds so much flavor. And there's just such a huge audience of you that listen that I really, really appreciate it. Also, Apple Bits Nation, this show is supported by you all. I am completely independent. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is the way to support it. Starting at $2 a month, $5, which is basically a cup of coffee. If my content is worth that to you, $10, $25, the $100 platinum level. Look, there's a bunch of kind of perks for doing this. First of all, you get some rewards that I am going to be working on this weekend to get out from some of you from, yeah, a little while ago, but hey, they're coming. It could be anything from like a decal sticker to a signed photo. You get some cool stuff like that. Also, early access to the content. So you get these podcasts and sometimes I try and get videos out to you earlier, but mostly you get the podcast at least a day ahead before I put it out to the public. And finally, the most important thing, a completely ad-free version of the show. You hear no ads. You don't even hear this. You just get right to it. So thank you so much for supporting patreon.com slash Brian Tong. On this episode, you know that Apple I don't know if it was a surprise, but it, it was a surprise the day they dropped it. Announced the 13-inch MacBook Pro. It wasn't the 14-inch that's been rumored. We really, really don't know if that's actually going to come out this year. I have my own thoughts about this. But brought in my buddy, contributed to the show, guest from the show, developer, independent businessman, Joe Chaplinski. We worked together back at Apple a long, long time ago. We've stayed friends and always love his insight that he brings to the table here. So Joe and I are gonna talk about the MacBook Pro 13-inch. I almost couldn't say it. We're also gonna touch upon WWDC. That was a big thing that was announced this week. Officially will be held on June the 22nd, a few weeks later than normal, but it'll be all online, right? So that's gonna be different as well. How will they approach the keynote and things like that? Well, I guess for most of us, it's just like what we normally do. We just watch it. So Here's Joe and I talking all about those things and more. All right, everybody, a returning, a recurring special guest, Joe Chaplinski, one of my buddies. We go old school, and for those of you that have listened to the show, you know that he's been on the show before. Joe, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, man, it's always a pleasure. Yes, so um, Joe, again, I like to do the, you know, the complimentary, hey, tell everyone a little bit about yourself so they know and where they can find some of your cool work and content. Yeah, I'm a designer and developer, a freelance. Kind of been doing that for a long time now, uh, since the basically the dawn of the iOS age. And uh, you know, so I build stuff. I live here in Boulder, Colorado. Now I moved since yeah. last time we talked. Uh, I used to be in New York and prior to that, San Francisco, where is where where I met you, of course. Uh, but yeah, now I'm in Boulder doing some freelance work. And uh, yeah, I got a podcast called Release Notes, where we talk about the business side of you know, small independent developments. Uh, you can find that at releasenotes.tv. Uh, you can always find my other stuff at josie.design. 
And, you know, what Joe's referring to is back in the day in the Bay Area, we worked together at not only the an Apple store, but I believe it was the second one. And also it was literally Steve Jobs' store. He came yep. to our store on a regular. I, I remember even seeing you sometime. I swear, like in the software area, small talk with SJ, small talk with SJ. <laughs> I, I yeah, like, like, hey, where are those iPod cases? Aren't they in yet? <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had I had three or four encounters with Steve, and they were all positive, which is not the norm, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he just loved that store, and so uh, it was it was always interesting whenever he walked in, especially when we were. You remember both of us used to do presentations oh, yeah. in the back at the theater, and uh, when he would walk in while yeah. you were doing a presentation, that was like the scariest thing ever. It is because <laughs> he wouldn't say a word; he just nope. sit in the back, look at you, and then walk out. And you're yep. like, he either hates me or he loves me. I have no idea. And then our manager would be like, "Well, he didn't tell me to fire you, so you must have did all right." Yeah. And <laughs> It was cool because that store was honestly his baby. Like that was the store that he went to to evaluate how retail is going. Because if we go back in time before we get into the show, which we will, you know, Apple retail was a bold thing. Gateway stores had kind of tried to happen and weren't successful. And all of a sudden, Apple's doing their own stores at a time where it wasn't a traditional thing. It was a big risk. And so this was like his new thing. And so I think he, he had a lot of love for us because it was his new thing. Yeah, and I think because it was succeeding and because all those people had predicted that it would fail miserably, mm-hmm, I think he particularly mm-hmm. loved it. He loved the idea of snubbing those folks, who, all the critics who thought that it was it was going to fail. And obviously, it turned out to be one of the best decisions Apple ever made. I mean, I credit most of their modern success, really, uh, to the retail operation. If that didn't exist, you know, I don't think they would have been able to sell nearly as many iPhones and before that iPods as they did. Absolutely. All right, Joe. So we're going to get into this. I brought Joe on the show because he's a developer as well. He talked about his freelance work and we just saw that Apple announced their new MacBook Pro 13 inch this week. And then, you know, Joe and I bouncing back on Twitter all of a sudden is like, oh, Joe pre-ordered one. And I thought you'd be the perfect guy to just talk about, you know, a first of all, what were your first impressions about the MacBook Pro 13 and maybe some of your history with just that line? Because I know you've been you've been rolling with the MacBook Pro from day one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, if you remember back in the day when we were both in the stores, I used to rock the old 17 inch power book, mm-hmm. you know, that giant lunch tray thing, you know, because <laughs> I've been a, I've been a laptop only guy since like 1996, like the Wall Street power book days. And so I was really into laptops so, and I would always get the biggest, most powerful machine I could get. And so the 17 inch was just the monstrosity, but it was amazing. And I didn't really care about the weight back then because I was in California. I had a car and I, would, you know, I wasn't carrying it, lugging it around. <laughs> uh, but then somewhere, I think it was around 2010 when the iPad came out, I decided, you know what, let me try Try, I'm going to do all my mobile stuff on an iPad. Like when I need to be up and about, I'll just do my work on the iPad and I'll just buy a big iMac. So I got the 27 inch iMac and I dropped my laptop and I really quickly learned like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do like my Photoshop work and Xcode and stuff like that can't be done on an iPad. So I basically backtracked, kept my iMac and got the 11 inch MacBook Air. I got the smallest MacBook I can find mm-hmm. uh, just because I, well, just when I'm mobile and I'm out and about, and I need to do Mac stuff. And, you know, that machine was cool and I, I really enjoyed using it. But then it was like, okay, it's not, if it's not going retina forever, the, the air never went retina. Uh, and so I was like jonesing for a, a, you know, a better machine. And I just couldn't get, bring myself to go back to that 15 inch MacBook Pro. It was just too big and heavy at that point. I was just getting so used to the lightweight. Mm-hmm. And then the 12 inch MacBook came out and it was like, the, to me, still my favorite all time the form factor of a MacBook to me, that tiny little machine was so awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I used that for a couple of years, but it's still kind of, the more I got into development, the more I needed Xcode to really push it. Uh, I, I just had to go back to a pro. And this is when I discovered the 13 inch for me, it like for, for all the times in between, I never really understood the, the appeal. Cause I thought like, Oh, it's, it's just a lesser 
MacBook Pro 15. Why wouldn't you just carry the 15 if you want the, you know, the power? But then I, you know, the more I realized and appreciated lightweight uh, laptops, and especially when I moved to New York and I was riding the subway every day with this big heavy <laughs> thing on my shoulder, I'm like, oh, I want the lightest thing possible. But the 12-inch just never got powerful enough. And so that's when I, I finally went for the 13-inch. And you know, the 13-inch kept getting smaller and smaller. You know, they kept shrinking the, uh, the size of those things. And I know everyone was like, oh, why is Apple so obsessed with thin? I'm like, because lightweight is everything. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, 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 so I finally went and, and you know, finally got small enough and light enough for me to just go for it. And ever since then, I've just been totally on that 13-inch bandwagon. And the reason why I say all this and, and bring up this history is that you know, I, I, I've realized that the 13-inch MacBook Pro – fits a very specific job in the lineup of, you know, of Apple's laptop line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's very, very specifically for people exactly like me who need the most power possible, but do not want to lug around a big, heavy machine. Like we're willing to sacrifice. I know that the 15 inch or 16 inch now is always going to be a little more powerful mm-hmm. uh, or a lot more powerful in, in the current case, but I, I just can't bring myself to carry that much weight. And so like, as long as it's powerful enough, I'd rather have the this, this mm-hmm. slightly lighter version. And, uh, you know, that, that's why I was really excited to see the 13 uh, get updated this time around. Did, um, so what did you actually configure your machine as? Because I think that's also an interesting point. Everyone has different use cases. You know, when I look at the lineup right now and I see the MacBook Air that just got released, by the time you, you kind of buff out a MacBook Air, you know, you add a little hard drive storage on there, maybe you tweak with the processor, to me, if unless you're kind of sticking to that, okay, I've got to absolutely have the lightest thing possible, I would push most people to get a 13-inch MacBook Pro now, just because of you get that little oomph. That is makes a difference on all the content and stuff that you're doing. Unless straight up you're web surfing, emailing, and word processing, and you literally want to do nothing else, I'm going to be like, okay, you definitely just get the air. But for the MacBook Pro 13, I mean, it's it's that power that's there. So how did you set yours up? Yeah, like I, I totally agree with you. Like it's weird to me. I keep I keep expecting Apple to either drop the Air mm. or drop the low end MacBook Pro 13 because those two have so much overlap, and it mm-hmm. feels like well, the Pro is only a tiny little bit heavier, but it's you know, the price points. You can you could definitely get to the point with an Air where it would be even pricier than the earlier you know the lower models of MacBook Pro 13s. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird to me that the, yeah that that's kind of a weird mishmash. And if I were in that kind of market, I wouldn't know what to do. Um, <laughs> but for me, if I'm going to go 13 inch Pro, I want the Proest Pro I can get, if you will. So I basically maxed it out. The only thing I didn't do was put the four terabyte drive in it because I, I have a two terabyte drive in my current uh, MacBook Pro. And to me, it's still I still have like 780 gigs free on that, so I'm pretty yeah. good space wise. I figure for another. I usually upgrade every year and a half to two years anyway. And so I'm thinking, you know, the, the terabytes, when you go to that max terabyte drive, it's always like, a, what is that, a $1,200 bump? Oh, it's huge. <laughs> so, it's huge. Yeah. So for $600 cheaper, I, I, I'd rather just do the four terabyte drive. But I did max it out to 32 gigs of RAM and I did nice. um, up the processor a little bit, which I know there's there's controversy over whether the processor is worth it. But for me, it's like, you know, I, I like there's just just that little bit more oomph in the graphics performance. I'll take it. I, I don't do a whole lot of video editing. I'm not like you. I, I'm sure like for your workflow, the 16 inch pro is probably yeah. the way to go. Um, but for me, it's like I could still do editing when I need to. Um, and, you know, I could just get that little more oomph that I need. And, and to me, I just so I just max it out as much as I can up to that point. And also, you know, I think, you know, you were one of the people that I remember back in the day. And this is before people were kind of doing it. But I remember you would almost upgrade every year. And I'm always like, dude, you upgrade every year. And you said, and you said this to me though, you're like, well, the Apple's 
Apple machines on eBay, as long as you keep them in great condition and still keep the original packaging, they have such high resale value. If yeah. you keep up on that track of upgrading every year, you don't really fall behind and you end up spending maybe like, let's say roughly 1000 to 2000 on a new machine every year instead of buying one. And then all of a sudden you have to make this huge jump and drop like four or $5,000. It's like sometimes over time, especially it, it, it does serve its purpose when you have those three years of your laptop. You're like, oh man, this thing is not performing the way I want, but you kind of just stick with it instead of just kind of keeping up to date and just always, but you always have to be conscious. Like you kind of have to be a little OCD and anal about your products thinking like, okay, well I'm going to sell this, but this is still my baby. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially back in those days when we had our Apple discount that made it super uh, economically (laughs) feasible. That's that's right. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. So, I mean, that would, and back then though, this is, you gotta remember this is the time before iPhones is before really the iPod. I think the iPod was Mm -hmm. just about to come out when we started. Uh, you know, I wasn't spending money on Apple watches every year plus iPhones plus, you know, so like my Apple allowance, if you will, for myself was literally a new laptop. And back then, Apple would – they would release a new one like every nine months to a yeah. year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I, I would just upgrade it. And yeah, the way I looked at it is if you don't – you don't have to buy Apple Care at that point because you're always under warranty. Mm. <laughs> right? that's, and, that's a really good point. And with the resale value – now, the resale values aren't quite as high as they used to be, uh, but they're still pretty good. I mean they've retained their value pretty well and you can mm-hmm. still sell a machine and get a, a decent price for it. I mean even Apple um, will recycle it for you. You can, you can send it back to Apple now. I think my current MacBook Pro is a 2018. I think it's worth like 800 bucks or something like that, which nice. is not great. But you know, the point is that, yeah, for me, just – there's some, there's a comfort in knowing I'm always under warranty. I'll spend a little more money, especially as someone who makes his living with this machine. Uh, I need to be up and running at all times. I need to be always under warranty and not worried about some you know financial thing that comes hits me because I dropped my laptop. You know, um, so yeah, for me, it, it, I just upgrade within reason. Now they don't upgrade the machines as often anymore. So now it's around every other year that mm-hmm. I, I usually upgrade, depending. Uh, so yeah, this time it came around almost exactly. I think I bought the. It was the mid twenty eighteen model came around June or July of twenty eighteen is when I upgraded that one. So this one will be coming at the end of May. So it's it's almost exactly two years. So what is the what's the feature that you're most excited about for this laptop? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, I, most people are going to say the keyboard, right? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, most people are, but I mean, it, it may not yeah. be. But well, for me, it's funny because I never hated, like I like I said, I, I had that original MacBook, the 12-inch MacBook, no pro. Um, and I love the butterfly keyboard on that thing. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was, to me, that was the best version of the butterfly too. It had the best feel to it. Ever since then, they've been trying, like, I know they had like all kinds of, of issues with with reliability. And so they kept adding like rubber gaskets and other things <laughs> underneath it. And to me, it just clouded what the, what the, that really nice feel of the original one. But I mean, I still don't, I, I don't mind the butterflies at all. I kind of like them. Uh, but I did get a chance to play around with the MacBook Pro 16 inch keyboard. Uh, and I have uh, my new iPad with, with uh, mm-hmm. the magic keyboard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, obviously it's a great keyboard. And, uh, you know, for me, the part of the keyboard that I like that I, you know, it's not so much. I like the idea that it's reliable. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, I didn't have a whole lot of trouble. I I think I'm just more gentle on keyboards than a lot of developers. Are. <laughs> I've watched developers, man. They're like slamming their key. I, I know it's like you're holding it wrong, right? But I mean, <laughs> I've seen what they do to their keyboards. I'm like, no wonder why these things are breaking. You're slamming down on it all day. Uh, you know, maybe because I'm, I'm a musician or whatever. I have a gentler touch or something. I don't know. But like, I, I didn't have a whole, I did have one keyboard go kind of wonky on me. And another one I had uh, where the, the paint kind of was scratching off the keys that they didn't break. Um, but in general, I haven't had that much trouble with the butterfly, but the two, the two big issues, you know, reliability is, is huge. 
Uh, but the other big issue for me, uh, what I did want and I hated about the butterfly was the uh, non-inverted T. Uh, I, was, I knew you were going to go say that. I was like, that's the one. Tea. Yeah, that's the one thing I am most looking forward to because I never got used to it. I still to this day can't find up, down, left, right on this <laughs> butterfly. Uh, I like the touch bar. I'm another weirdo that way. Um, but I, I do. Uh, I, I didn't care about the escape key that much. I'm not a huge Unix guy. Uh, but uh, having the physical escape key is not a bad thing. So uh, to me, it's like, OK, you put it back. That's fine with me. Either I could go either way with that. I'm just glad they didn't get rid of the touch bar altogether because I use the heck out of the touch bar, especially when I'm editing in Logic. So, um, you know, so in that respect, the keyboard is a big part of it. Uh, I'm just looking forward to having a little more power. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, always anything to make it a little more quick. Uh, 32 gigs of RAM is going to be big for me. A lot of the bigger projects that I'm building out next code. Uh, a lot of the music that I, I do, uh, you know, I've used, I use a lot of virtual instruments, you know, full on samples of drum kits and stuff like that. So that you can never have enough RAM for those kinds of things. So that's the, probably the biggest thing I'm looking forward to. The other thing that was interesting about this is like, right. The timing of everything. We had heard all these rumblings of who knows if it is going to come out this year or not. My mm-hmm. hunch is that, this whole 14-inch MacBook yeah. Pro, it would be weird for me right now, especially after they just did the 13-inch MacBook Pro and because of the timing of the climate of what's happening around us with coronavirus, it would be weird for me to see them put out a 14-inch MacBook Pro. And everyone continues to ask me, are they going to come out with a 14-inch? And no one, honestly, if you look at all the evidence, no one really, really knows it's out there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you kind of put out a good point Phil Schiller had an interview with Jonathan Morrison and you had pointed out something to the degree of like, well, Phil didn't answer it in the coy way that Apple normally does when they have something Mm -hmm. coming. Yeah, exactly. He asked him point blank and Jonathan asked him, you know, hey, uh, you know, what about a, you know, now we've got the 16 inch, obviously the 14 inch is coming yet uh, next. Right. And the way I don't know, there's just something the way, about the way he was phrasing it. It sounded more to me like, mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was sort it was more like, well, don't, you know, don't necessarily make assumptions is the way he put it. And it wasn't just, you know, Apple always is like, we don't talk about future products, yeah. you know, so but it wasn't that it was more like, yeah, like, and the more I thought about that, the more I thought about, well, what, again, come back to the, what is the purpose of the 13 inch pro? It's for people like me who are willing to give up power for a lighter weight machine, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, like it or not, the 15, the 16 inch machine is a lot lighter than the old 15s used to be, but it's not lighter than the last 15 inch was, right? So when they added that 16th inch to the screen, it, it did get a little bit bigger, a little bit thicker, uh, and it did get a little bit heavier. And my thinking was, well, if Apple does that with a 13, obviously I'll buy a 14 inch, but great. But like, what are you getting? A hundred pixels to the left and maybe a little more in the height. Uh, for that, I'd rather, honestly, that they just kept the size, like the screen real estate. I've already given up the screen real estate, in other words, mm-hmm. by not getting a 16 inch. Uh, I'm okay with that. Like, for me, anything that adds weight to the machine at this point is kind of a downside to me. So if they wanted to shrink the bezels and make the whole machine even smaller and keep it 13 inches, great. They probably can't do that because of heat and who knows what with these chips. So to me, yeah, to me, I don't think like what we're seeing here is what Apple's doing with the 13 inch line. I don't see them making a 14 inch till maybe, you know, maybe things will change. Maybe things will get different in the era of arm max. You know, maybe that's true. true. You know, we'll see a whole new chassis. We'll see a whole new design when it comes out, uh, you know, with an ARM machine. And maybe then we'll see some size differences because I have a feeling with that machine. I mean, your iPad doesn't have a fan, right? So I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> that the thermal envelope on an ARM machine will give them way more space to, to, you know, maybe even shrink this machine even further. I would love to see like the equivalent of a 12 inch MacBook in size. But, you know, maybe maybe you give it a 13 inch, you know, but but keep it that tight and then, you know, you know, just make it the most powerful machine you could possibly make it like that would be my dream machine. 
I think it's fascinating. The you know it's been talked about for a while, but now it's starting to really feel like it's going to happen. Um, and as we get closer, and it's not going to happen this year, but yes, maybe it does happen next year. But the idea of an ARM Mac mm-hmm. and what they're doing in the processor space is just fascinating to me because they can do it. They absolutely can do it. We've seen the iPad Pro in its current form with its uh, a thir- it's, it's an A12X right now. They didn't even go to 13. Mm-hmm. It's not even using even relatively close to its full maximum potential of power that's available there. Like I use these apps and you look at whatever benchmarks mean so much to a certain point, but mm-hmm. still that thing is a beast. And so as they take this chip, I mean, just from a space and like you said, weight standpoint, these machines have got to, are going to evolve significantly if they're just throwing an arm in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be amazing whenever it happens. And yeah, you know, some people have speculated that maybe the, it's true. They're going to have to tell developers about it. It's remember when we went from mm. PowerPC to Intel, they had to give us like an eight months heads up because they, all of our apps need to be recompiled. Mm-hmm. Right. And it probably, Apple will make it sound like, Hey, you just hit this checkbox in Xcode, right? Right. Like nah. they did with Catalyst. <laughs> it's never quite that easy. Uh, so there's going to have to be some lead time. And so Apple could, in theory, come with the upcoming WWC, they could announce the arms are coming, but not mm-hmm. announce a specific machine yet uh and then maybe we'd see them early next year like you're saying but yeah i don't i don't see the arm like to me that laptop line is what it is at this point maybe they'll bump the 16 inch again later this year i would mm-hmm. hope they would i hope so what yeah i mean the last bump was amazing but i like this trend of like apple getting back to regular updates you know i think renee richie's talked about that like i'd much rather see apple bump these machines every nine months or every year again rather than waiting like the mac mini did for six years lingering and like you know looks at like why would anyone buy this machine uh you know so if apple's going to keep up with that maybe but i don't see a major redesign of the laptop line coming you know until much later at this point like to me when apple puts out a machine like this 13 inch bump i don't think i don't see that like a lot of people are saying oh the 14 inch will come in in two months i'm like i don't see apple doing that like uh, and, or, you know, maybe it's in the lab, maybe it's almost ready. Or I really think, like I said, I think the next big redesign is going to be this arm thing. And I do think they're going to be close to it. I think maybe this year or next is when we'll get the announcement of it. And then we'll see it after that. Yeah. The other indicator, even with the 13 inch, from what I can tell and what they've said, it's also not like they drastically change the cooling system. Like for the 16 inch, this most recent one. So they first put out the 16 inch, which I, which I got because it was an amazing update. And then the internals, they kind of basically retooled to optimize it for better cooling to handle these processors. They didn't do that for the 13, you know, and that's not a bad thing, but it is an indication of if they were going to heavily invest in this 13 inch and say, this is going to be our boy for the next five years per se, you might've seen them say, okay, we did retool the cooling like we did in the, in the uh, 16 inch. And that also leads to the fact that, look, we're probably going to see an arm in not saying the 13 inch pro is a lower uh, powered model, but it is not as powerful as the mm-hmm. MacBook pro 16 inch. So it makes sense to put that type of a processor in a smaller form factor first before they say, uh, you know, we're going to take our 16 inch pro flagship, put it in arm, uh, let you software developers figure out how to make it compatible. And yeah, go have, go have at it guys. I, I don't see them doing approaching it that way. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And you're right. I think we're seeing the end of this design, right, of the 13-inch mm-hmm, Pro. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, why invest all? I mean, you look at the low end of the MacBook Pro 13 inch. It's really they didn't do anything to it except no. put a new keyboard in it, right? So I mean, they left the internals pretty much exactly the same uh, until you bump it up to that higher end, and then all they really did was change some, you know, the processor, added more RAM and things. So I think you're right. I, I think that the, they didn't want to invest that much to make like why make a 14 inch screen now if we're going to be switching to ARM in a year? You know, like to me, th- those are the signals. That Apple's like kind of done with this design trend for now. Uh, the 16 inch was a bump up and that was a big deal. I think a lot of that came from, you know, it was inspired by, let's just say, the need to really replace that keyboard because mm-hmm. it, it, regardless of people like me liking the keyboard, it didn't matter. The thing was, uh, from a marketing standpoint, a disaster. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, people, people just didn't see Apple laptops as the highest quality, most reliable machines anymore, and that's a bad thing. So they had to change that impression in a big way, and I think the 16-inch pulled that off for them. Uh, you know, Whereas with this machine, it's like, okay, well, Apple just needs to replace the keyboard and you know, put, it, put an end to the butterfly era mm-hmm. and uh, uh, do the minimal you have to do to get the specs up to up to speed, and then save the big, you know, the the big surprises for the next generation of machines. Yeah, I mean it's it's still a great machine. I mean, I I I think that some people kind of on my first impression they criticize because like, oh, I think this is also the other thing that people jump to conclusions really quickly. So the entry level MacBook Pro 13 inch is still using the eighth gen Intel Core, and the thing about that, and Dave 2D broke it down. He said, look, the gains in performance between putting in the an entry-level 8th-gen uh, Intel processor versus a 10th-gen in that 1299 model, the, the gains in performance are so minimal, but the costs of a 10th-gen processor are a couple hundred dollars more. So just purely from that alone, it's a, it is the smarter move for the consumer to put in the 8th-gen, get the same performance, $200 is so cheaper. But guess what? When everyone sees Apple first make the first press releases, they jump to the immediate thought of it has to have 10th gen everything. Right. And it doesn't. Right. It honestly doesn't. <laughs> and it, it doesn't all the time. You know, I think maybe maybe this whole nature of like, what can, what can you do for me now? Uh, instant gratification. I'm not satisfied unless it's anything but the quote unquote best is people jump to that thinking right away instead of, okay, these are deliberate decisions, not only by Apple, but PC makers, product makers of why they're doing this specific to cost, you know, or or pricing considerations. Yeah, I think tech heads like us have always had a hard time understanding this aspect of technology, right? Most, uh, again, as a buyer like me who needs the high-end pro, yeah, I needed to see that 10th, you know, that 10th Mm -hmm, gen chip mm -hmm. in the high-end and I'm willing to pay for it. But for the average person who's buying or is in that market for the 12 inch pro or the high end air, like to me, that's, that's still a confusing dis- uh, proposition. But, uh, you know, was, the last thing that person cares about or even knows about is the difference between eighth gen and 10th gen. <laughs> like, exactly. They, they might read that and say, Oh, 10th is better than eighth. Right. But they don't know <laughs> why. Or, you know, and, and when you looked at the speed gains, it really isn't that much. And you're spending a couple extra hundred bucks for not that much speed. I think if you gave, those same users, the choice and said, here, buy it with this eighth gen chip or buy it with the 10th gen chip. The 10th gen chip is $200 more. That market, most of those people are just going to go for the eighth gen chip. And so what Apple figures, you know, that 80% rule, if 80% of our users are just going to go for the eighth gen anyway, but let's just give them the eighth gen. And if they really want the 10th gen, they'll spend the more money. They'll spend the 1700 and above. Uh, you know, and so uh, like you can't have a hundred 
machines in your line. People make fun of Apple now because we're not on that four grid anymore, that beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> pro and consumer. I, I, Apple's way too big a company to be doing that anymore, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. but there is a point where it's like, you don't need that many models. You really don't. And, and that's where I'm almost seeing, like I can see with, with the arm transition, Apple either dropping the air or keeping the air branding and dropping the low end concept of a 13 inch mm-hmm. pro. I mean, I really think where Apple kind of wants to go with this in the long term is like three basic models. You have your, your thousand dollar machine, you know, and then you have your two pro models, the smaller and the bigger. And to me, that's all the laptops they really need. Obviously you go in there and configure Ram and maybe bump the processor slightly. But like, I think I could see that kind of simplification coming with the arm transition. Very, very true. Okay. So just to wrap up for people, we're going to jump on um, over and talk WWDC, but just for people that aren't so sure about everything, um, the entry level MacBook Pro 13 inch starts at 1299. That's with an eighth gen Intel core i5 processor. Now there's another kind of a secondary bump that you can do where you jump up to the 10th gen processors, which also start at 1799. But by the time you tweak it up, they do support 32 gigs of RAM like Joe did, up to four terabytes of storage. Um, I did max out, max, max out. You didn't you didn't max, max out it, but you almost right. got close. Uh, maxed out 13-inch MacBook Pro, $3,599 before tax and Apple Care. Just in case you want to do it. I'm just letting you all know. <laughs> yeah, you won't regret you're, you're, it. Put it <laughs> you won't. I mean, honestly, if you're the user that's doing that, you're doing, you know why you're doing that. And you're yeah. pretty much that user, and it's... Like I do that with my MacBook Pros and I'm happy as a clam once I walk away. I like I look at the sticker and the sticker price and I'm like, okay. But then in the long term, I'm like, I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. When it's for your business, it's different than when it's just like a consumer machine. Yeah, I make money every hour with my machine and I'm on it. So that's the way I look at it. <laughs> they make that money. <laughs> All right, everybody. Guess what? This episode is brought to you by you patreon.com slash brian tong this is the way to support this look i know times are crazy i'm completely independent i'm grateful for all of your support i'm not going to dwell on this too long but two dollars per month is how you get started five ten twenty five one hundred you got early access to my content bonuses at every level and completely ad-free version of the show so i'm not going to make this ad long let's just get back to it here's joe and i now we're going to talk a little bit about that dub dub all right, next up, and I, I even heard the excitement in your voice, WWDC 2020 Apple officially announced that it will start June 22nd, a little later than it normally does, but obviously we know a lot of things happened in the world that has pushed that timetable down. What are, what does WWDC mean to you? Because I think for a lot of my listeners and viewers as consumers, it's like, what new hardware is coming? I'm like, okay, it's, it's about software, <laughs> but... What what excites you about WWDC? Yeah, as a developer, it's it's all about like what new things is Apple going to hand us? What new tools are we going to have that will either make my life easier right, in, in developing these applications or more importantly, let me do things that I wasn't capable of doing before. Uh, and every year, obviously, Apple gives us some something of the, you know, in, in both those categories, really. And, uh, you know, this year is going to be interesting. Like, honestly, the, the, the what develop the worldwide developers conferences has always meant to me really was getting to see my friends, right? Mm -hmm. We used to gather in San Jose. Well, before that was San Francisco. uh, And we would, you know, absolutely just spend the entire week hanging out. And there were certain people I would only see 
that once a year from Europe and from all over the world. Uh, and I'm not going to see them this year. And that kind of bums me out, you know. Uh, obviously, given this situation we're in, there's nothing we can do about that. Apple, I'm glad Apple's still doing a conference, you know, in whatever capacity they can do it. Uh, and so the idea of doing it all virtual, it's going to be interesting because, you know, from a content standpoint, anyone could watch the mm-hmm. WWDC presentations, right? They would, they would come out like the next day, not necessarily like they would live stream the keynote, then they would live stream that first day of um, what they call the developers state of the union, <laughs> the platform state mm-hmm. of the union, right? Uh, where they talk about like, what's the big overlying changes for the year. Uh, and then the following days, they would always be like, oh, you know, like a day late. They would, they would put out Tuesdays on Wednesday and Wednesdays on Thursday kind of thing. And you'd be able to watch the video. So in that regard, nothing's really changed. Anyone could go, you know, watch those videos. They used to be like locked behind a wall, but mm-hmm. now you can pretty much, anyone can watch them. Uh, and so the, the part we haven't seen from Apple yet uh, is whether or not they're going to have some form of community engagement. Like, are they going to be able to have some sort of equivalent of what they used to call the labs, where you would go in and you'd be able to talk to Apple employees, the actual engineers who build this stuff, and have them answer your questions? Like, hey, you have this new framework. I'm struggling with, you know, text view. <laughs> you know, like, I can't get it to do this thing I need it to do. And that person would be able to walk you through it or at least put you in touch with the person. Uh, and that's a way that a lot of us ended up getting our contacts at Apple. We would find good engineers, we'd get their cards, and then we'd have someone we can talk to whenever we had a problem throughout the year. We'd just shoot them an email and they would politely, you know, help us out. And so you get those connections over time. And like that whole face-to-face part of it mm. was a, a magical part of WBC. And it's part of the reason why it was always A, expensive, right? It was a $6,900 ticket, I think. And then plus you had to spend the week in San Jose, which was not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and so you'd be spending all this money. And so I thought it was a really interesting change here that Apple decided to make this year, at least from what I can tell from the press materials, it sounds like it's all free. Yeah, uh, that's now, what I was going to ask you about, right? Yeah, which what, that, what that's telling me is like, they, like the, the part that was physically limited, like Apple doesn't need the money. They've never needed the money, right? But they needed to limit it. Like they can only have 5,000 attendees. <laughs> even with that, even with a $1,600 ticket, it was still selling out in a few minutes, right? They had to do a lottery. Uh, uh, they started doing a lottery because of exactly. that. Exactly. And so as a result, only a few, a handful. I mean, you think 5,000 developers compared to the, the worldwide audience of Apple developers, it has to be hundreds of thousands of developers out there. That's a relatively few, you know, very small uh, group of people who can now experience this content and get this this face to face time with Apple, and that was just physical limitations. You you can't have the engineers that like that are just aren't that many of them. Right? You couldn't have a hundred thousand people descend on San Jose. So the fact that they're doing this all virtually and keeping it free means they really do want everyone to participate. Now the next question is now you know we haven't heard all the details yet. Are they going to have some sort of tier where it's like well? pay X number of dollars and you get to have a lab session with somebody mm-hmm. or a one-on-one. I don't know if they're going to do that or not. If it's just strictly the presentations, it's going to be a little bit odd, right? Maybe they'll, I suspect that most developers will try to find a way to communicate with each other. Like we'll get on, you know, zoom groups or whatever um, <laughs> to chat about this stuff. Cause whenever the new stuff comes out, that was the other fun part was like discussing it with your friends all week, you know, like, Oh, what, how are we going to use this? Or isn't this really cool? Uh, and so I imagine we'll still try to find ways to socialize and, and to have those discussions. But I'm, I'm very curious to see if Apple uh, like officially provides some way for us to communicate with each other and with them. I think that would be really cool if they could. Yeah. I'm, I'm super, you know, as someone from the outside looking in who is not a developer by any means, you know, there's, I'm wondering what you're most curious about specifically, which software thing matters the most to you. I know part of it's probably business driven based on, you know, the apps that you develop. But for me, now that the magic keyboard is out, I wonder if they're going to show us some, some new 
bells and whistles with iPad OS. Not that they can do, they need to do anything drastic yet because they kind of like to take their time, really see how people are going to be using this magic keyboard, how what works, what doesn't, and then maybe pull some of those insights. But I want to see what they do with iPad OS. And then also, I mean, every year I think uh, Watch OS always pulls something out that I'm like, man, I love Watch OS. And it still has a lot of room to grow and do different things. What about you? Is there a specific OS that you're curious about or you're, you want to see the most from? Yeah, I completely agree with you. Like iPad OS is extraordinarily interesting. When they just, when they announced that they were changing, you know, giving it an official name, mm-hmm. a lot of people thought, oh, it's just marketing. It's still just iOS right? with, with iPad thrown in front of it. Right? <laughs> so, but I think, and, and in many respects under the hood, it really is just iOS, right? It's still the same underlying platform, just as TV OS and watch OS are all they're all sub branches. Mac OS is the kind of the oddball out over on the side running a completely uh, you know, different user interface layer. Uh, but f- giving iPad OS its own title and its own name, I think what the, the thinking behind that was for Apple is like, they knew this magic keyboard was coming. In other words, they knew the trackpad was coming. They knew that there were a whole lot of things they could do with iPad that were never going to make sense on a phone. And if they didn't give it its own name and give that team permission to not have to always be thinking, well, how is this going to work on the phone? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. if they don't have to worry about that, then they can open themselves to do a lot more. And so I do think this year, starting this year and in the future, we're going to see iPadOS diverge from iOS on the phone more and more over time. I think we're going to see a lot more iPad exclusive features. And I, that makes me very happy. I I love the iPad. It's, it's, you know, that and the watch are my favorite. Apple's ever made uh, this newest iteration with the new magic uh, keyboard is absolutely amazing I still I love being able to pull it off the keyboard still use it as a tablet you know <laughs> do whatever I want with it and then pop it right back down there and get right, right back to typing uh, I'm starting to really get I'm starting to use uh, slide over and the the multi uh, I, I never use that stuff at all I used to just full screen everything on my mm-hmm. iPad but with the trackpad and you know once you get used to the different gestures to me, that stuff is all much easier. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I am very excited about what they, they come up with iPadOS. Uh, WatchOS, again, I, I'm with you at this. Uh, last year, there were rumors of them building in a, a built-in sleep tracker. I hope they do that. Um, I would love to see that happen. I think that maybe it didn't happen last year because they were announcing the uh, WatchOS or the, the new Watch Series 5. Uh, with all day you know, screen time, and maybe that was just a little too much battery life wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this year's devices will be able to, uh, you know, handle this because I wear my watch to bed every night and I use a third party sleep tracker. But I would love to have that information built in. I would trust Apple to like log that information in health, you know, better than anyone else could. Um, and so yeah, I, I would love to see more capability there on the watch. I'm uh, curious, from oh, a oh sorry, oh, go oh, ahead. Go I'm, no no no, you go ahead, please. <laughs> from a uh, developer geekiness you know, state of mind, like <laughs> I, I'm very curious to see where Swift UI goes next. Mm-hmm. Um, Swift UI was a big deal last year for us. Uh, I haven't been able to use it. That, <laughs> this is always the joke. We always, you know, when you work in the industry and you're building apps for various companies, uh, nine times out of 10, Apple will make all these really cool announcements at DubDub, and then you can't use any of them that year because they require, you know, in this case, iOS 13, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so <laughs> you go to the company and say, well, we're only going to make it for iOS 13. And they'll say, well, no, we need to be able to support iOS 9. You know, <laughs> we need to be able to support <laughs> these older machines. And so you can't use any of the new bells and whistles until a couple of years later. So this year, like I'll be able to start building apps commercially. Like I played with SwiftUI, I worked with it. I've done it with my own personal apps, but I'll be able to use it more because it'll, you know, uh, the, everything will bump up a year. And so when the minimum becomes iOS 13, I'll be able to use that on some apps. So I'm excited about that. But to see where they take that, I think it's 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 definitely the future of how a user interface layout is is going to go. And I, but it still has a long way to go. It's still kind of raw, and so. 
yeah, I, I think that things are moving fast or changing very fast. There's going to be a lot to see. Honestly, though, I wouldn't, I would not be surprised, nor would I be begrudge Apple if they wanted to take this year and say, like, hey, let's just not do push that hard. <laughs> right. Mm, interesting. Um, just because given where they are, I mean, uh, we're in a situation where everyone's working from home, including Apple, and that's got to be weird for them because they're mm-hmm. used to collaborating together. They make everyone move to Cupertino, right? and they make yep, everyone yep. work in an office in a secret lab. So I, I think there's probably been a lot of change in the way that their day-to-day operations go. I wonder if, you know, as a result, they, they did push it back a few weeks. Like normally we would have had dubbed up at the beginning of June. Now it's sort of June 22nd. So they did give their, their engineers like an extra three weeks to kind of get their act together before that first beta gets hit on, on the, <laughs> so I don't know whether that means that we're going to have three weeks fewer in the beta cycle and they'll still release in September, or if they're going to push the phones out to October. I, don't, I mean, it's hard to tell in a year like this, right? So but I wonder if this year Apple will say, let's just tackle less. <laughs> like no one's going to fault us if we take a step back and uh, just do some polish and like maybe just have a few new features. But I don't know. I honestly don't know what to expect this year. Well, so, you know, when you say, hey, let's um do something less, you know, they're going to release like AirTags and HomePod 2 now. <laughs> yeah. Like they're going to do like, yeah. and because you said that, you just threw that energy out into the sky. They're yeah. like, you know what, Joe, we've been sitting on these AirTags. We could have released them last year. We didn't. We're yeah. going to do them now. I'm I'm really curious though to see, you know, we always see indications of it's obviously software heavy, but also sometimes there's tea leaves in that software that tell you, oh, they're going to be, they're probably going to bring some sort of feature like this to their next gen model of whatever that hardware piece is. But I'm wondering if we'll actually see AirTags because it's one of those things that I don't know why I got so excited about. I think I like the idea of AirTags more because of the ecosystem play of like, we've seen, um, what is it like Tracker and Tile? And they're mm-hmm. cool products, but man, you, you, those, a tracker like that levels up when you have the power of Apple's ecosystem. Yeah. Where if I walk by a cafe and it, you know, obviously it's not doing it actively, passively can find someone's phone and let them know that's, that's crazy. That's, that's a little next level to me. And, <laughs> and I love it. And I also love the fact that this is something, this AirTag thing. The hooks are already in the OSs, but the biggest thing is like these things won't cost that much. This is something like is truly an ecosystem benefit that's not going to cost you a hundred to okay, maybe a few trackers will, but it won't cost you like four <laughs> four hundred dollars to play, right? It might be like okay, yeah, hundred dollars to play. Yeah, I can see like a pack of three or four of them being like a hundred bucks or something like that. It'd be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, no, the air tags. It does sound interesting. I, I don't know, given shelter in place and everything, people not being able to move around as much. <laughs> that makes as that's like honestly, right. that's a great point. They might very well be sitting on these things and be like, this is just not a good environment to release <laughs> this. But who knows? Maybe maybe it would help with contact tracing. I don't know. Uh, you know, there might be implications or, or uses for it, uh, you know. But yeah, I like any of that stuff. Uh, and I agree. Like, there are always hints, right? We got LiDAR in the iPad mm-hmm. this year. Obviously, that will probably come to the phone later this year. So the question is, like, obviously, Apple's been building on something VR-wise that is not a game, right? I mean, mm-hmm. games are cool. Don't get me wrong. But Apple has big plans for VR. Probably the glasses thing. Who knows? I don't know if we're there yet. Like this year is the year, but you're, you're right. They are throwing those tea leaves in every year. They're they're adding a little bit into the hardware. So yeah, and we do get hints from that from WDC. So I think even if Apple doesn't announce like the ARM transition, for instance, this year, there might be some hints in the software that some 
you know, enterprising hacker will go in there <laughs> and, and take apart the code. You know, they find icons for things all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'll find something in there that's that's going to give away what's coming next. Yeah, which kind of takes some of the fun out of it. I agree. Like usually this time of year is usually when I stop trying to read rumors. Like anything prior to this is sort of like pie in the sky. It's usually like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Of course, the classes are coming eventually. We all know that, right? But it's when the rumors start getting really concrete and it's like, well, this is definitely what's being announced. To, like, I, I, to me, that's when I turn off and I'm like, I'd rather be surprised on the day of. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think there's a lot of hardware potentially that Apple has yet to reveal. I think the AirTags is part of it. Uh, obviously, you know, we got that near field. There's that. Uh, what, what is the name of that chip in the iPhone now? The, U1, the, the, the U1? U1? The U1. The U1, yeah. Yes. They, they have plans for that beyond just making AirDrop a little easier, right? Totally. Yeah, I mean, like, like nothing Apple does is ever what it looks like on the surface. So, yeah, I, I'm very excited to see where they go next with that. I also would like to see them take series shortcuts <laughs> to the next level, too, and a little more with this automation and home stuff. I mean, I don't know. There, there's so many possibilities, and it's all exciting. And for me as a developer, the more I can write apps for these things, the better. So if Apple lets me write apps for HomePod, I would love that, right? Mm-hmm. Um that's a whole other new design challenge. How do you design an app without a user interface, right? <laughs> so, or the user interface is voice, not you know, not mm-hmm. anything visual. Uh, you know, and I think shortcuts are kind of pushing that limit too, where it's like you're mostly talking to Siri, you're not looking at a screen. You know, so it's a whole different approach to software design. I really feel like software is becoming more of these little services that live in the OS rather than this screen that you're staring at. Um, and so, as that transition, you know, with glasses, everything that's going to that's going to push it in that direction. And I think it's it's all very exciting. You know, since I have you here, it, my brain just kind of bounced around. You know, you're a music guy, you're a musician. People may not know that. Um, do wait, do you have a place where people can hear your music that you want to plug before I ask you this question? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, the last thing I was involved in, uh, we actually a uh, band that I've been uh, working with for a while. They just put out an album recently. It's called Airplane Mode. Uh, we put out a uh, an EP, or well, we, we started as an EP and ended up be- becoming a full album. Uh, it's called A Pretty Face to Ruin Everything, uh, and it's 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 out there on Apple Music, so you can go grab it or Spotify or wherever it is you get your music. There you go. I got I got to show you love with the plug. Um, <laughs> the question, you know, for you, I really find it fascinating how Apple is showing us that they're not only have they become this huge massive company with mobile devices but they are absolutely attacking the audio space you mm-hmm. know yeah. airpods we've seen the evolution of the airpods pro the home pod although not the most feature packed that thing i don't know if you own one but that thing sound it's my go-to to play music to you know i, I have yeah i have four of them oh my god oh my god <laughs> this is great this is great all right they sound to me the way my ear listens they sound amazing and what's also kind of yep. interesting is i don't know if you remember but when the home pod first came out I did feel like I liked it, but I felt like it was a little basier than I mm-hmm. thought. And then I remember, you know, one time using it, I'm like, huh, it doesn't sound as bassy, but it sounds a little more balanced. And I remember hearing about like a firmware update that might have maybe changed how they tune it. But bottom line, the HomePod sounds incredible. Okay, so that's I'm going to stick to that till the day I die because I love that <laughs> thing. It It has replaced, you know. Any other, I don't use it as an assistant. I literally use it just to play music. So I want to know from you, seen Apple, right? We have rumors of new headphones, you know, they're in HomePods. They have their AirPods. What is what is your take on them evolving as a company? They even have this huge, massive sound audio testing of um, kind of studio or setup that they have, but seeing them get into audio, what, what are some of your thoughts on that? 
I love it. And I'd love to see them expand it more. I could see them doing sound bars for TV because, uh, you know, for a while I was using my home pods. I had a, a stereo pair in the living room. Mm. Uh, I still do. Uh, but I was using that as my main audio for uh, my TV as well because my surround system was old and it finally just died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I was like, ah, I don't really feel like replacing this. Let me just plug it into the, uh, you know, or just, you know, take the Apple TV and send the, send the audio over to the uh, home pods. And it sounded amazing. The thing that always bugged me was that for whatever reason, the Apple TV would never remember that. Yes. And cer- yes. Certain apps on the Apple TV, uh, you know, especially YouTube on Apple TV, for whatever reason, it never obeys whatever sound setting you put. I would have to quit the app and then change the sound back to the the, the Apple TV yeah. speakers and then switch it back. It was a huge annoyance. So I finally just went and bought a soundbar eventually. But I would love to see <laughs> Apple have some official solution for that. Uh, yeah, I, I get really excited. And everywhere, like I remember when the HomePod came out. And to this day, I still hear, people, oh, it's a big flop. And no, it's, really, it's like it's it's that classic. I didn't buy one. Therefore, this this is a useless product that Apple should drop. You know, and it's like, well, it's not for everyone. It's not not every thing that Apple makes needs to be iPhone level success. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think about what that engineering team managed to pull off with the uh, with the HomePod and what that knowledge then translated into mm-hmm. you know like it, I, I think their whole obsession with audio started had to start with the iPhone right because the iPhone needed microphones and it needed uh, you know it needed really good sound quality like they learned as much as they could about antennas and all that stuff you know, they did the research and they realized like oh we have all this new audio knowledge what can we do with it mm-hmm. And so the HomePod, I think, again, I don't know the inside story, but to me, it feels like they gave a group at, at Apple kind of carte blanche to like experiment and see what you could do, like make the best speaker possible. I don't think Siri was in the cards at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually it became like, well, the thing, this thing doesn't have a screen. Let's just, how do you, how are you going to control it? Well, obviously Siri was around, so they decided to use that. Now Siri gets a lot of hell for not being perfect. And I agree. It could be better. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping for big improvements over time. I mean, they, they, they do seem to be concentrating more on it than they used to. Um, but, for me, yeah, like I get really excited when I see that Apple is getting into head more headphones. You know, like what could be? I mean, the AirPods Pro are absolutely a, a, a <laughs> knock out of the park yep. success, right? And to me, that wouldn't have been possible if they didn't do the research that was in the HomePod. You know, look at the speakers. Like uh, I, I'm, that's another thing I didn't even mention on this new MacBook Pro. I'm going to get these yes. awesome new speakers that you've yes. been raving about on the yes. 16 inch. Um, you know, th- those kinds of uh, advancements are really important, and I, I think I think that's. As long as Apple's making products that make sound, right, they they <laughs> they might as well get better and better at it. This is what Apple does, right? They want to be experts at everything they do, and so I could see you know them not dropping this audio uh, and instead doubling down on it. And I think as Siri does improve, there will be even more use. For, I mean, I get enough use out of this from a Siri. Like, yeah, I turn the lights on and off, and mm-hmm. you know whatever I can automate, you know through. Uh, the HomePod, I do, right? And I ask Siri questions, and you know gets it right once in a while. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to me, none of these none of these uh, home assistants are great yet, right? So they're all kind of getting there. But to me, the sound quality is you, you nailed it. It's exactly like that's what's important to me. And for me, like to listen to music on my HomePod, it sounds better than any stereo I've ever owned. And it's a single speaker sitting in a room, and it just it fills the room in a way that I've never heard before. <laughs> and it, so. Whatever that the tuning is, I know some people think it's too bassy. Some people think it's not bassy enough. Everyone's got their taste, right? And the HomePod is, it, it's, it's you can't sit there and EQ it. It's going to do whatever Apple trained it to do, right? So that's funny. You if say you hap- if you happen to like the HomePod sound, you're you're like you and I do. You're golden, right? If mm-hmm. if your preference is for something slightly different, I can see why it wouldn't be your cup of tea. Uh, but to me, I'm just thinking from a physics standpoint, what the HomePod is pulling off. <laughs> from what I know about how sound travels is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so I just marvel at it every time I listen to it and like, I don't crank, I'm not, you know, I'm getting old. I don't need to crank music super loud anymore. Um, 
but you know, like even at super low volumes, especially and this, I've never been a big fan of like live recordings. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm at a show. Great. Uh, but like the live album is, I usually go for the studio album, but for some reason, live recordings on the home pod makes you feel like the, the band is in the room. with mm. you. <laughs> It's like, there's something, there's, there's a presence in the, in the sound that comes out and it's just, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm always excited to see more from Apple. Uh, I know there are rumors of a cheaper home pod, but I don't think they need to make the home pod cheaper. I, I honestly just think they need to keep improving Siri. Yeah, no, I a hundred, 100% agree with you on that. No, that, you know what? Just before we kind of wrap up, I know I went on a tinge with audio, but I thought you had some great insights there. You know, use the word presence, which is really kind of hard to explain until you hear it and then you actually feel it. And Mm -hmm. so what I'm curious about is someone who's worked in audio and who's a musician. And again, you even disclaimer, like everyone has different sound preferences. That's why whenever I see these, I do even headphone reviews and I outright say, look, you might hear things different than I do, but I'm going to tell you what I hear and what I like. Okay. And people right. will still get mad at me. It's like, <laughs> you don't know, blah, blah, blah. This thing sucks the way it sounds. I'm like, okay, I, I, I put it in my video, but okay. You didn't even listen to that disclaimer, <laughs> but you know, yep. what is for you and how your ears listen to what, what is good sound for you? How, how would you describe that? Yeah, for me, it's all about balance. I want to hear every instrument. I want to hear everything. There's a clarity to be able to hear what each individual artist is doing. You know, no, no matter what the genre is, there are several layers of sound going on in any modern recording, right? Uh, and I want to be able to pull them out and distinctly hear them. Mm. And I want to be able to sit anywhere in the room and hear it as well, right? A lot of times you need to be sitting and pointed in exactly the right hotspot in your room you know, in order to make mm-hmm. the sound great. And that's great if you're sitting in a room by yourself, which I do, listening to music. Uh, but if you have friends over, <laughs> that, that kind of goes out the window because none of you, you know, either one of you sits in the, hot, in the, in the sweet spot or no one does. Uh, and so, yeah, for me, I just want that. I don't know how to say it other than like you said, it's it's there's a certain balance to the instruments. I don't want to have overpowering anything. You know, I don't want it to be super high and tinny. I don't want it to be super bassy and overpowering on the low end either, but I want to hear the clarity of every, the, you know, not just a lot of people just listen to the vocalist, you know, the person in the, in the front and center. I, yeah, for me, I'm always listening to the background instruments. I'm always mm-hmm. listening to the accompaniment. And so for me, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear all of it. And I want to hear it's in as balanced a form as possible uh, without, you know, too much heavy handedness on, on one end or the other. So basically you're telling me you want more cowbell. <laughs> Every instrument matters. Always. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Joe. Well, you know, thank you so much for hanging out and, uh, you know, talking shop i'm excited when is your macbook pro 13 inch arriving because since you did a build to order it's going to take a little longer yeah apple says it's going to be 20 days from now but lately they've been they've been beating their estimates yeah. so i'm gonna i'm gonna hold out and hope they say may 28th but uh, i'm hoping that it'll be a little quicker than that so we'll see awesome all right and again let's remind the good people where they can find you and hear some of your great content Sure. You can uh, find my podcast at releasenotes.tv. Uh, and you can also find uh, any of my other web stuff uh, just by going to josie.design. Awesome, Joe. Hey, thanks again so much for coming out, your time and your knowledge. And just, again, this is how we catch up, bro. It's always fun. That's right, man. It's always a pleasure. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. So there you go. Me and Joe having some fun there. Um, I do need to apologize I believe my voice cracked at least two or three times. I did not drink my hot tea to loosen up. I jumped into it, and that's what happens when you don't warm up your voice. I'm Maybe I'm still growing. Maybe I'm still going through puberty. Some people say I act like it.
But all right, everybody, thank you so much. That was a fun time with Joe. We're going to put calls in the next episode. I did get them, but remember to be a part of this show because, look, there's so many things that have started to come out and roll out. I want to hear about your iPhone SE impressions. Some of you have purchased it. I want to hear about your MacBook Pro 13-inch impressions. Some of you have those as well. There's just a lot of stuff, iPad Pro, Magic Keyboard. There's so many things happening around the Apple ecosystem right now. We're not even in June yet, and it's already starting to bubble, right? It was slow February, slow March. Now now we're picking up. Now we're going to have some fun. It's going to get cray-cray. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for all of your support. Also, we got to give a big thanks to the Platinum Apple supporters of this show at the $1,000 level. Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frater, Jarrett Lewis, Eric Cohen. Thank you for your support. And for everyone that is listening that has heard me say this before, literally, I know it, it seems small, but it's a big deal. Give me that five-star review on iTunes, only five stars, because I told you, you know, give me whatever you want. Five-star review of the show on iTunes. Put in a comment so it helps bump this up in the algorithm, helps people see it, and we continue to roll on. Again, 100% independent. I thank you all for your support at patreon.com slash Tong. But there you have it. That's going to do it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Let me know how you feel. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.